This episode of the Organic BC podcast was funded by the BC Ministry of Agriculture and Food. Hello, this is the Organic BC podcast and I'm Jordan Marr. In this episode, you'll hear part two of the series of conversations I recorded with Steve Maggot and Annalise Group Cavers, the owners of Fresh Valley Farms in Armstrong, BC. Fresh Valley Farms is a certified organic livestock operation that sells grass-fed beef and pastured pork, poultry, and eggs directly to household customers in the Okanagan Valley region. This time, we'll learn about cover cropping practices at Fresh Valley Farms, some of the vital tools and equipment in their operation, and Steve and Annalise's thoughts on the arrival of the word regenerative in conversations about sustainable agriculture. You'll also hear their thoughts on where livestock fits in a sustainable food system and their perspective on running a business with your spouse. One quick note, for these two episodes, I've included excerpts from three interviews, one with Steve, one with Annalise, and one with both of them together. The recording environment was different for each of those, and you'll notice that as we go back and forth among the interviews. So if that all sounds good to you, let's get started with the subject of cover cropping. Talk to you at the end. Steve, we need to move on. I, uh, I wanted to ask you about your experimentation with cover crops. So maybe yeah. you could summarize that and with, with really making sure you highlight how it's yeah. important or useful in your livestock operation. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not that important yet. I'd like it to be. Um, we, we've always cover crop because that's what you do as an organic farmer. I think there's requirements for, for doing it to some degree if you're, if you're doing any grain cropping. Um, but um, this year we decided because I had a new portion of land that had been corn after corn after corn for I don't know how long they were going corn. Um, we decided to try out um, this covers and, covers and co um, full season cover crop which was 15 species. I don't know off the top of my head, all of them, they were um, warm season and cool season. So we were trying to maximize growth in the warm season. Um, Covers and Co being a company that is based where? Uh, Saskatchewan, I okay. believe. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're a cool company. I would highly recommend looking them up. Even if you're not planning to buy from them, they do a lot of uh, workshops and webinars and, and such to teach people about how to use cover crops. Um, would, I would um, I'd look them up if you're at all interested. But anyhow. One, they, more, one more thing. Uh, organic supply or typically conventional no, seed? No. And that's, I hope, um, I hope that's all right. We're, th- there's probably a few seeds that they put in their mix that you might be able to get organic but it would be very hard to get a curated blend um yeah, like yeah. so as far as as, as, as far so, as staying on the right side of your certification yeah. you it sounds like you can make the argument like i can get something out of these blends that i cannot yeah. get anywhere certified I, organic i don't know how i would ever i mean i could copy i suppose i could try to copy what they're doing uh, with whatever I could get in certified and then mix it with the ones I can't get in certified. Mm-hmm. But then I'd have to have the infrastructure to mix it properly. And then yeah. I'd have to have the research behind it to make sure that the, it's blended properly in terms of quantities. And I just, I, I right now, I would love to be able to use all organic seed like this, but right now what they're doing and the value they bring in that pre-mixed blend, we just, we need, you know, we know it's, there's no GMOs and there's no treatment to any of the seed that we're not allowed to use. Um, but yeah, we've, we've tried this. Okay. So, so that, effectively yeah. you've got this amazing yeah. high quality 15 species cover crop blend that you got your hands on. Yeah. You had a field that you took over as you expand. This is a new lease and, and the specific field on the lease is about 15 acres, mm-hmm. which is not certified yet, which is not certified yet, but, but yeah. 
you so this was last season mm -hmm. and you put you put that field to this uh, 15 yeah. species cover crop yeah yeah um but can i ask you yeah. what why not what was why this crop and not why were you not putting this field that had been corn on corn on corn into yeah, directly seeded to permanent pasture that's a good question i mean i think the hesitancy is because we don't use nitrogen fertilizer and we don't have a big massive source of dairy fertilizer or dairy manure to fertilize it with so i, I once you have a perennial crop it becomes a little bit uh, um it becomes a little bit harder to nutrify it right so I'm, i was looking for ways to make sure we get the a good start on the nutrient balance without um synthetic inputs right and right. so you're are you referring to um like the legumes that were in that yeah. mix the legumes the like i mean the potential for green manuring the second growth because i knew i couldn't graze it i was thinking well maybe we'll just end up you know letting the snow just kind of pack it into the ground and then work it in in the spring or something right. like that so or, or even working it in the fall, which I didn't do, but was also an option. Okay. Yeah. So what's the epilogue going to be? Like, are you, are you doing are the same? What's the, what's happening if to I, that field this year? Oh yeah. This year I haven't decided yet. I mean, partly it depends because I, like I say, and I've got seven foot tall. Um, Is it Sudan? Sudan. Uh, yeah. It's something like that. Yeah. And yeah, one of these warm seasons, they look like corn, right? It's, but I've got the seven foot tall plant that I didn't actually do anything with. It just like the snow fell on it and it's just, we'll see what's left in the spring. Um, I know it's, those plants are notoriously, um, what do you, uh, they don't take on water. What's the term for that? They're like hydrophobic? hydrophobic. Yeah. So we'll see how they rot. <laughs> Oh, good. Um, so that will determine what I do with it in the spring, but it's all a bit of an experiment. Like I'm, I'm probably going to break that one big field up into two. So I'm, I likely will be able to seed the lower portion of that field into, um, alfalfa grass mix or something. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's talk about, we'll stick with pasture management let's yeah. talk about equipment. And I want yeah. you to go back to this. What's the name of the, the is it a tango wheel? T oh, tumble. Tumble yeah. wheel. Tango wheel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when I operate, it would be a tango yeah. wheel. Um, <laughs> can you, can, it sounds like that's a pretty important part of your ro ro yeah. ability to rotate. So, so can really, you try and describe okay. it? I'll try and describe it. Yeah. So it's got, Hey everyone, this is Jordan, the host of the podcast, just cutting in to tell you that if you check the notes for this episode, you'll find a link to a very short YouTube video that shows you what a tumble wheel looks like. If you don't have those notes handy, what you can do is Google tumble wheels on the move and look for a 42 second YouTube video by Tracking Y Ranch. Okay, back to the episode. It sounds like that's a pretty important part of your ro ro yeah. ability to rotate. So, so can really, you try and describe okay. it? I'll try and describe it. Yeah, so it's got um, one, two, three, four, five, six. Six arms that come out of a central hub. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, then the, and then one solid piece of metal pipe that sticks through the central hub perpendicular to the wheel right mm -hmm. um and when you put a bunch of those on a poly fence or or some kind of um, an electric fence when you pull the tension on that on that wire um, it actually stands all of these wheels up so so then you've got um a fence that's that's supported by a bunch of wheels right mm -hmm. and when you want to move it you actually it's you, you need you need to keep a, um, a a spool of wire at both ends so that you can move it properly 
But then when you go to move it, you just grab a hold of one end and you walk down the field, keeping a bit of tension on the wire. And, and as you walk, these tumble wheels just roll along. Um, now there's one, like anybody can probably build that. It's pretty simple, right? But the one really clever thing that, that, that Gallagher did with this is they put um, a, a rotating plate in the center of this hub, or I guess I shouldn't say rotating. It's a, it's a loose metal plate in the center of this hub that as you turn it, the loose metal plate drops down and makes contact to the way they've designed it. It, it breaks contact to the, the two um, spokes of this wheel that touch the ground and it, and it makes contact with the fence to the, the spokes that are not touching the ground. So then you have the cattle can't mess with it. That, that would be the problem is the cattle would quickly learn that if they, they nose up on this spoke that's not on the ground, they could move the fence along, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to keep power to those, those other spokes. So that's the real, the real clever part of it is that, that it's the top parts are electrified and the bottom part isn't. Right. Yeah. So do, you've got a lead fence and a, and a trailing yeah. fence. Are each yeah. of those on tumble wheels? Um, they're very expensive, these tumble wheels. So yeah. we're just getting to where we, we could set up the, the tail fence as a tumble wheel, but it also takes a little while to set up. So because of the size of our fields, we're not always going to set up a tumble wheel for the tail fence because they're, they're not quite as quick to, to build as a, as a, um, just the, the, the ring top post fence, which is the other option, right? We use these, these, um, posts that are just the small 36 inch tall ish, um, post that's got a, a ring top and, and a, a step in bottom that we can step the, the so so in. i'm gonna guess that you want your one precious tumblewheel on the lead line because yeah. you move it then the cattle want to move into the yeah. next paddock yeah. so you don't have to be as stressed about taking your and, time to move this other yeah and style. remember the 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 second bite principle is that you're not gonna you don't want them to take a second bite at once it's grown back so it takes a few days for it to grow back mm -hmm. usually or you know, I don't know. So you have some time if you, if you need to take more time yeah. to move to move the, the yeah. trailer. Yeah, so you right. don't need to be moving as much. Okay, what other equipment do you want to highlight that you own or want to own as regards pasture management? Um, I think the biggest, and we were hoping to have funding to buy one of these, but the, my my biggest um, future purchase for pasture management is going to be um, the new electric side-by-side -side that... Um, uh, what is it? The, the Ranger um, Polaris is going to make. They, they have a, a one that's almost got the equivalent of a small, like, roadworthy car drivetrain. Like, it's the drivetrain is actually built by um, uh, Zero Motorcycles. Uh, so it's a, it's a legitimate electric drivetrain that you can plug into a fast charger and everything. And I, I'm going to get the first one I can possibly get because that's going to change how I manage pasture because... I'm going to be, when I do have animals that eat grain on pasture, I want to be driving a small amount to them all the time because I don't want to be driving tractors. Large, over. large machinery. Yeah. And, I, and I should just get a side-by-side -side and start using that, but I just don't want to buy a gas Internal one. combustion, yeah. 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 So that's, that's the main thing I think will change how I do things. I think it'll also potentially change how we're managing 
the beef herd a little bit because we're able to haul those tumbles around tumble wheels around in the back something like right now i use an electric bike which is a, it's interesting an electric bike works well it's a with fat a, tire with a trailer bike. you mean no i just carry things yeah I, i've tried trailers and such but it's it's Bumpy. really yeah i mean i got a, a full suspension one last year that was a bit of a game changer because i could cross like groundhog hold pastures at you know 30 clicks whereas before when i had a hardtail one i was kind of it's kind of hard to like carry your tumble wheels in one hand and drive over a bumpy pasture with a hardtail you know just, look it's, steve it's, it, if there's anything you say in this interview yeah. that i know every listener will relate to <laughs> yeah. it's that when you are ro- driving or riding or pushing yeah. uh, an electric hardtail bike around your livestock operation and you're carrying a tumble wheel it's hard it can be difficult right am i right every single person listening yeah absolutely everyone is nodding right now (laughs) i can talk more about the the utilization of electric oh it was my next no 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 no. i want you right now to make the pitch to farmers who are operating on fairly large blocks of land Mm why they should consider having an electric fat tire bike in there as, yeah. as, as at least one means yeah. of, of getting well, around. Well, if, if you're over 80, I'm not going to suggest it. But if, if, you're, if you are, are fairly confident on a bike and, and you're not going to kill yourself, then I would highly recommend it. Um, it's, it's just been such a time saver. Like, I, I guess, so three, I think it's been about three years now I've had a, an, an electric bike, um, electric fat tire bike on the farm and, I hardly think about it now, like, but it was such a game changer at the time. Like, I, I don't know, I just wouldn't fire up a tractor or or a car or a truck like so often. And then it's pleasant, and you can hear the birds, and and I don't know, it's it's just everything. It can that move I do. through any size gate, right? Yeah, yeah, it can do that. Um, when you're fixing things, as we all do as farmers, is um, you you ride to your tools or you drive to your tools and you get your tool and and then you go back and you do the fixing thing well i mean now i literally ride to the tool case in the shop you know well into the the shop on the bike i don't even sometimes get off the bike and i'm back to to fix something so i mean that's a really good example of it and and since this last year i've added the um uh, what the milwaukee um pack out um platforms to my quad and my my bikes so i can grab a tool bag or a tool box and clip it onto the 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 rat trap on my bike Mm -hmm. and it's solid like they're a really solid mount hey like they're not gonna fall off so you can ride pretty fast with your tools clipped on and that's yeah it's been a big yeah it's been great and it just adds to your appreciation of of everything like with the exception of maybe running into a bear once in a while, like that's not great. But other than that, you're you're really, um, you, yeah, you're just you're taking in the the sounds of your and the sight and right? the sight. I mean, sights, anyone. Yeah. This was uh, a yeah, Zen Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. That that yeah. guy made this a similar point. When yeah. you're on a motorcycle as opposed to a car, yeah. you're in the environment. You're not removed from it, yeah. and that's yeah. important on a farm. Yeah. So if you've got good balance, everyone truly consider it. If you don't mm-hmm. already have one in your in your fleet of ways of getting around your farm, um, I just want to talk a little bit more about electrification. Yeah. For example, am I correct that you have funding to put a solar installation in on the parcel you live on, yeah. which is going to mean what? 
Well, for starters, it's awesome because we have um, about 300 square feet of freezer and another 100, 200 square feet of cooler running on that farm. So mm. I'm really stoked to be running compressors off of sunlight. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to, I mean, I think it's a really good investment. Our, our payback because of this grant funding is about four years or something like that, maybe five. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just great. To, but this installation is net, going to electrify the whole farm? Is yeah, that about it's right? It's full net metering. Yeah. So we have uh, about $1,800 a cycle um, electric bill right now. Um, so that should offset that. No kidding. Yeah. A cycle in, if you're not listening from BC, is two months here. We get our bill every two months. Right. So, yeah. Okay. And then all the, the only other major uh, source then of emissions will be your machinery Mm-hmm. And you are also hoping at some point to invest in electric uh, tractors. Everything. Is that? Yeah. I mean, actually, it was interesting. Your last uh, interview I listened to um, with Reed Alloway. Reed Alloway um, really was inspiring about the transportation. Like I've I've known, especially since we got a F. I mean, um, a Dodge thirty five hundred, mm-hmm. um, really nice highway truck, but it uses a lot of gas, mm-hmm. and I've noticed how much, not gas, excuse me, diesel, but how much of that diesel is going into the transportation versus the tractor. I barely ever fill that up, right? Right. Um, so transportation, I think, is... it's got Like the be, distribution of your product. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, we do all kinds of things like hauling beef cattle around um, for slaughter or whatever mm-hmm. reason. Um, you know, I might go get a bunch of calves from Fort St. John. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of diesel there. Um, not that I'll be doing that on electric anytime soon, but, um, for the distribution, yeah, I would love to be electric within two years. That's, that'd be my, I mean, if we can't do it in two years, I think I failed. <laughs> um, and just on a side note, um, I'm not, I don't think it has to be a truck, right? Like there's, there's some really good there's better technology in cars already. Right. And I think like with the, um, Tesla model Y, Mm -hmm. which like conveniently just came down in price by, I don't, maybe $8,000 or something. Um, it can, it can tow 18, uh, 1800 kgs. Okay. So I'm thinking, and it's got a massive trunk. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm starting to think that might be the way to go just because the technology is so much um, more developed at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love an F-150 Lightning. I think that would work too, but they're just too expensive right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Steve, you recently, you and Annalise recently got some pretty slick uh, design put onto the side of the cube van yeah. that you use to distribute your frozen product. Yeah. And... Big and bold on the side of your Q-Van is the word organic, which makes sense because you're a certified organic operation. Equally big and bold is the word regenerative. And I thought that we could spend a little bit of time talking about the word regenerative and what it means, what it means to you. Maybe, where do you want to start with this? Yeah. Well, I'll start by saying we we hummed and hawed about putting regenerative organic on our truck because we know that Rodel is trying to create a a certification for regenerative organic Mm -hmm. and possibly others I'm not aware of. But um, as far as I know, there's no rules around using that term yet. So we did. So that is because I think we need to own it. I think we, I think organic farmers are regenerative farmers. Now, maybe there's a few exceptions where they're applying uh, industrialized systems to organic and that's not 
that could be less that could be worse <laughs> in a regenerative sense than um than most but um i think that the principles of organic fit perfectly into what i consider regenerative farming to be um and 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 the most important factor of that is to just not kill everything like that's been the problem with this whole um agrochemical business is that everything is about just killing everything and then replacing what those things leave behind with inputs that the agrochemical companies produce so it works for them they're making lots of money they just pull more oil out of the ground and make more inputs but it does not work for life on the planet <laughs> so um yeah i mean i think that the principles of organic and regenerative are identical really um, which are what then Define farming for right? the sake of the soil, right? Now, I know that's got lost in, um, it's got lost in the regulatory process of organics, but it was always part of the initial tenants, right? Um, I think that farming for soil health, and, and this is why you, you can't have hydro, in Canada, you can't have hydroponic organic products because there's no soil involved, right? Like it, it is about soil. Um, and I think it's soil is part of an ecosystem, right? So you need to protect the soil, but you need to protect the rest of the parts of that ecosystem that help feed the soil and keep the soil healthy. I like looking at the foundations of um, the regenerative organic certified programs that have kind of soil health and organic as a, as a sort of main tenet. And then has these other components as well of animal welfare and um, and social like equity as well. So I think all of those parts are important. But when people are talking about regenerative, they are primarily talking about soil health. And they're not necessarily talking about organics, which I think is a mistake. I, I'm going to get at kind of two problems that I see in this whole debate around the use of the word regenerative right now. Mm -hmm. One is, does that not suggest that people are using regenerative just to just to have a word that they can use freely and not be checked on it, not be certified, totally. not be held to account? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's where a lot of the argument is coming from. And, and um, I, I'll be interested to hear from the BC um, committee that's tasked with defining the word regenerative, essentially. Um, is who all the people are trying to define the word regenerative. And I think there's a lot of people who would like to see more gradients of organic, right? More like organic, but with some nitrogen or organic mm. with, you know, or, or just calling it as good as and keeping doing what you're doing. So um, I think that a lot of the push for the use of that word is is to give people an idea that there is organic but not quite or okay but this let's, let's dwell on that let's dwell yeah. on that what is what what to your mind is wrong then though yeah. with a farmer saying look i want to i want to build my soil i mm -hmm. want healthy soil and but i believe that the best way to do that that also balances out the needs of my making a living mm -hmm. are to take a bunch of organic practices that focus on building healthy soil, you know, make sure you're building, not depleting soil carbon. And you're doing that by using rotations, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But I also, I'm going to use some synthetic nitrogen on my land, which is yeah. more, I might point out is more of just like a, a consumptive input issue. 
like to my mind, there's no reason you um, can't build soil while using some okay. synthetic nitrogen. So um, what is wrong with that? And I'm no soil scientist, but I everything I've looked at in terms of nitrogen use is that it creates an imbalance in your soil, right? It's not, and, and it, obviously people use a little bit of nitrogen or they use four to 10 times more than they actually need for the crop. Mm-hmm. And when they use, you know, any more than a teeny tiny bit of nitrogen, what I understand is that it, it kind of supercharges a certain class of life within the soil that tends to consume everything else, including any biomass that you already have in the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my understanding of why it's bad, not uh, not to mention the nitrous oxide and all the other, um, you know, um, pollutants that come off of soil when you add nitrogen. But... Um, yeah, so so that's why I would rather see regenerative. Just say like you you just don't use nitrogen. You don't use synthetic nitrogen inputs, right? As well as any chemical that would kill off soil micro microbial life. Because like I just see that as not a net neutral. It's like that's a loss. Anytime you're you're using an input that kills the or reduces the um the makeup of your soil microbiota mm-hmm. um, I think that is a negative thing and it's, it's just not really regenerative. There's a whole group that are defining regenerative differently mm-hmm. in, in terms of, so this would be in, in large scale crop agriculture, mm-hmm. um, the, the development of no-till methods that mm-hmm. essentially come down in conventional systems um, to relying way more heavily on herbicides to prepare your soil, to clear the soil, and therefore mm-hmm. not using tillage. Mm-hmm. So I guess the, the question I'll start with is, is, do you, are you, is there any part of you that would rather see that happening than the tillage that was happening that came before? So, so effectively, yeah. I'm done a crop, I, I, I kill everything in the field with herbicides and now I have no-till drills and therefore yeah. I don't have to, I have way less soil tillage, way less soil erosion, that sort of thing. I, I think with anything, it comes down to the context of that specific operation and the farmer themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they're going to use restraint or if they're going to just double what the package says, you know. But generally, um, I don't, I, I think the, I, I don't think the verdict is in whether it's even ultimately beneficial chemical no-till yeah i mean i could be totally wrong and some people might holler at me say you're so wrong blah 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 but it it, in my mind it's it's not necessarily better than minimizing tillage and and working in like ideally more rotations and cover cropping is potentially as good as as no-till chemical right um that's my thinking because okay. I don't actually see tillage as the worst possible thing. You know, there was a time when I hopped on the no-till bandwagon and I thought that tilling was the the, the death of soil. But I think that I've come around to see tilling as a, a valuable tool, when especially in Canada, because we have a short growing season. And yeah, it's very challenging to do anything with the no-till in in Canada. I think I don't know. We just we have to get things growing now. You know, and that's hard. The mainstream conversation about regenerative is not talking about those aspects of the regenerative organic certified certification that have to do with things like animal welfare and social justice, you know, paying our employees a living wage, for example, right? 
In the mainstream conversation, it's been all about soil health, but organic is all about soil health. So I, now I'll return to that question. Why? Why, why, why is regenerative, I don't know, kind of taking on the role that organic has played around conversations about soil health? I think that, I mean, it's just a, I wonder if maybe it's partly has to do in BC with the fact that now organic is legislated, that term mm -hmm. is regulated. Maybe. I mean, people, I think people, it's, it's a nebulous enough term that people can say regenerative and it means anywhere on this slope from here to there, mm -hmm. there being this kind of ideal um, closed loop system that I think would definitely like indisputably that end point is organic and people all along that spectrum are using it, whether that's fair or not. Um, like whether, whether I think that their use is justified or not. Um, I think even as, as a farmer who defines our own farm as a regenerative farm, coming up with metrics to align that with is very difficult, like in terms of monitoring the monitoring impact or monitoring soil health. Like there's just, there's a lot of different tools that you could choose to use. Um, and it's, yeah, I was recently involved in a conversation where the, the question was really, is it the process of how things are being done or is it what is being done? The means or the ends. Right. But Len, let me ask you this. You, 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 you on this farm, as you just referenced, have started to use that term more to describe what you're doing. It's now one of the words on your beautiful new farm advertising on the side of your cube van mm -hmm. that you use to move meat around to your distribution points. Why? Why, why have you felt the need or desire to use the word organic where once, or sorry, the word regenerative where once you were just using the word organic? What, what is your, been, your motivation to embrace the word and use it? Well, I think that we probably were using the word regenerative before we were using the word organic. Really? I think so. I mean, I would have to look. Mm -hmm. But I think in because we saw what we were doing as being kind of on that spectrum, we didn't think that we could economically make the leap to um, organic feed and organic livestock. Mm -hmm. We didn't think that our community of, of eaters and purchasers would support that price increase. And that was, we justified that to ourselves for a long time. And then we decided eventually, no, this is, this is how we align ourselves with our true kind of principles and our values and made that change. But I think the way that I feel about it now is that the most important thing is that everyone agrees that that endpoint for like regenerative practices, sure, but I think that a regenerative farm, a regenerative system needs to be indisputably organic. And I don't think that there is agreement on that. And I mean, yeah, I don't, I, I do want to look back and see if we were using it. We weren't using social media that much yeah. at that point. That's the only place. The, the only reason I express surprise is only because, and I might be late to the party. I think if we talk about, if we, if we use myself as a representative, I think in the general conversation among non-farmers, I think to me, it only feels like regenerative has really taken on any meaning in the last few years. That was why I was surprised when you said that you were using it before, but maybe yeah. I just didn't realize how it had already penetrated the yeah, conversation. I don't 
we probably just were saying things, more direct things like rotational grazing mm -hmm. and like pasture raised because those were the things that we were doing. So I, 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 I guess I just wonder if um, this regenerative or some other word was the one inevitable consequence when you, when you protect a, a, a system of practices using a word like organic. Like if we just, we as a community of organic producers had to expect that something was going to come along because all these people were getting told at farmer's markets and in grocery stores with their stuff or whatever, stop using the word organic unless you're certified, you know? Yeah. I mean, I see the word regenerative so much more in terms of animal livestock than I do anywhere else. And I, and I think that um, I've definitely seen lots of people say beyond organic. And I mean, I, I do think that that is BS. Mm -hmm. And they're still kind of, it's like sacrilegious to the organic word or something still. But I, um, like, I don't see it challenging veggie growers in the same way. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of one of the reasons that I would want to put or that I feel like it's important to put it on our truck and everywhere is like we're organic and regenerative. Mm -hmm. These are important. And Steve and I have agreed that in the next year or two, it's a burdensome amount of paperwork, but we're going to have to pursue regenerative organic certified so that we can kind of say we're doing all of these things. Mm -hmm. um, and someone else is auditing that for us. We're not just saying that we're doing it and, you know, we're beyond that. We don't need anyone else to double check. It just increases the amount of transparency, I think, for, for consumers. Right. Knowing that someone else is looking to see that our livestock has lots of space and has everything that they need and has can exhibit their natural behaviors and mm -hmm. flock together and herd together. I also wonder if, kind of related to my last comment, if, you know, one reason that it has taken on steam going back to the organic community, the certified organic community is that as, as the organic movement grew to me, any movement involving, especially like a certification as it grows, it ultimately is faced with compromises that it often not just faces, but makes right. Mm -hmm. So as the movement grew and it grew and the, and the idea of organic grew in the public consciousness, mm -hmm. the food buying public consciousness, right. I think compromises were made such that we now have, Plenty of examples of certified organic farms in the overall movement that are definitely not building soil health, for example, or maintaining soil health. I think it is possible to be an organic producer and not be doing that just because of the way the standards are, are written. And I think that's especially possible in terms of animal husbandry. I, and not, not only in terms of kind of the environmental impacts, but in terms of the animal welfare standards that I think customers associate with organic or I think people would naturally conflate organic and pasture raised so that barn raised organic chicken and pork. I mean, yeah, they are kind of mandated to have access to outdoors, but it's only in fair weather, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, and consumers demand those products year round. So then they are raised in barns in, you know, unpleasant conditions. And I don't think that consumers necessarily recognize that with just an organic label. Mm -hmm. They think that it is raised to the same standard that our organic chicken and organic pork is raised. So if you could wave a wand, right? So if we consider that, like I have read the regenerative organic standard, the one, right? 
Um, and this is this is a standard that requires you to be certified organic, and then they have these like add-ons to get the regenerative part of the standard, right? If you could wave a wand, so so it, it, that that added part to get the regenerative part of the regenerative organic certification, as you referenced earlier, it has. I think we can agree higher animal welfare expectations than the organic certification and higher expectations around social justice. justice. So I'm going to be more specific and and a little bit more limiting and just say, for example, living wages for your employees. Right. And then it goes further as far as like to reach the gold standard, because that standard is divided into like gold, silver and bronze. Um, You really have to show like that you're covering soil all year. You know, like there can be no bare soil, that sort of thing. So if you could wave your wand, would you rather those those tenets that I just mentioned be incorporated into organics so that all organic farms had to, you know, um, be subject to them? Or are, or are you fine to now have essentially two standards, like two, two standards that are perhaps in conversation with each other, but technically separate? Oh, that's a, that's a really difficult question because I just am a pragmatic person. So right away, I imagine, well... I guess, yeah, if I could wave my wand, sure, I would. I would want those to be integrated into the organic standards and for all the farms to seamlessly change over to those practices. Mm-hmm. Um, but having no magic on my side, I think that I, I find it really difficult to imagine scaling that scaling the organic standards to that place. And that being said, too, it seems like a, like it facilitates regenerative organic certification to have kind of those different components because the organic standards are, it is quite onerous for a diversified livestock farm to do that. And then asking people to go beyond to do more, more of the paperwork and administrative. Like, I don't know if there would be, if I could, if that could be a part of my magic wand waving, mm-hmm. like, yeah, add these things, but don't add any bureaucracy for farmers to navigate that would be that would be my ultimate choice what about an intensive organic vegetable operation that let's say by dint of not having a lot of land has all of their land put to crops always Mm -hmm. and is relying on heavy heavy reliance on bringing in compost to ensure at the very least that they are maintaining Mm-hmm. their the organic matter in the soil do we call that is can we think of that as regenerative i, I think there's room for it i i think that maybe if we're talking about a, a new certification level that includes the word regenerative i think that there's going to be some additional requirements in terms of cover cropping um, or resting land or doing you know maybe there's not like you have to do this but you have to do this like cover crop you have to have strip tillage or you have to have something else, you know, like so that you have a um, the presence of a living biomass mm-hmm. in the soil that's not being tilled every single year. I think that that would be a reasonable requirement for for a regenerative certification. Um, but I think it could be done so much better than your average, you know, Salinas Valley, California lettuce farm that. I think there's room, uh, room to, to, to make it fit within the term regenerative for sure. Yeah. All right. So the bottom line for you, it sounds like, is that regenerative approaches to farming are, are, are should essentially be largely focused on the 
idealist form of organic practices that, that we've been talking about and using for decades mm -hmm. then. I, I just feel like there are, as you kind of alluded to earlier, I think there are lots of examples of organic farms that, that are not hitting the mark on. Yeah. For sure. On soil health. I mean, and like I said at the beginning of this, that, that I think that the organic um, brand has been eroded severely. I mean, I, I maybe I didn't say it that way, but I do. Um, I think that it, 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 it needs to shape up or it's going to lose its value, right? And it has. And as especially as an animal farmer, um, I've seen so many people or just so hundreds of people have told me they, they just think, oh, they get their their meat from so-and-so local uses GMO free grains, but they buy all their other food is organic. And I just, um, I think that that's a huge failure in the organics movement. Like when they brought in the whole no post thing and destroyed the, the beef industry, you, you know, what was the point of that? Like there is nothing wrong with the treated post. Maybe there was one type of treated post that wasn't perfect. But they they decimated. Who they? Do you mean when organic? Required organic, yeah, required that, that you, that you yeah. essentially couldn't use treated posts for your fencing. Yeah. How many ranchers did we lose from the organic movement? Yeah. Yeah. What was the point of that? Did we save anything? Did we did we save the the little tiny bit of soil around every single post? I, I'm not even sure. So um, I think that there's a lot of uh, yeah. A lot of values we got to reconsider when when that sort of thing happens, right? It should have been, holy geez, that's that's not the intention. We don't want to lose every almost every rancher in BC. We want to save this situation. Mm -hmm. Let's let them use treated posts, mm -hmm. like especially now that there's better alternatives um, that that are treated, but they're not treated with the same chemicals. So I don't know. It it's uh it's gone. Yeah, it needs work. That's why we're here. <laughs> so in conversations about what uh, the world's ideal food systems look like there's a not insignificant faction having that conversation arguing that we should be diminishing or eliminating animals for our, from our food systems and the, i would i would perhaps oversimplify a bit by saying that like boiling down their argument to animal welfare concerns like we shouldn't um we should not be using animals in this way. Um, and also, again, an oversimplified argument, that, like, the oversimplification that I'm making, that like essentially it takes too much food to grow to feed animals, uh, and we should just feed that to humans. And so I'm, I, 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 that, that's, that's not an insignificant part of the conversation. It seems to be growing. I'm just wondering what, you, what role you think animals should be playing in our future food systems. I, I definitely think that a moderate amount of livestock production is important. And I think that like the feed grains, the feed grade grains that we feed animals are frequently not a human grade product. So, it, I mean, while there is a lot of feed that is grown exclusively for feedlots and for um, poultry and for, and for pigs, uh, I think that there's kind of an important aspect to like there's tiered grain production and in in grain production there's going to be some waste and some of that waste is animal feed so I don't know I think that I think that livestock is important I also think that people 
have different um, optimal diets, I guess. Like maybe some people thrive on a more vegetarian or plant-based diet. And I think that some people don't. And for those people to have the option of nutritious uh, meat, I think is important. I also get the impression, Annalise, that I mean, not just the impression, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this, that, that one thing that gets lost when that argument's being made against animals is the idea that we can integrate animals into agricultural ecosystems that otherwise are terrible for growing crops. Isn't that fair to say? Totally. Like marginal lands, like our pigs are on kind of a rocky hillside. It's like it, it would not be utilized for any other um, agricultural production. And there are there's some kind of straggly apple trees up there. Um, and the pigs make use of those too. Also, our pigs eat a lot of uh, recycled mash from an organic brewery. And so they're another part of kind of a, a loop, a closing the loop or closing the gap there. Um, yeah, so definitely when you look at highest and best use of land, you could say that, um, you know, why not grow just green beans or something on this land? But you do have to, I think that the biodiversity factor or the ecosystem services are important as well. And having a pasture land, a perennial forage land provides that opportunity for birds and grasshoppers and, and bugs that would not exist in a field crop system or row crop system. And it's, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll holler back to almost the start of our conversation. You were saying that, that you, you actually kind of sort of, if you take the whole world as a whole, together you want less meat consumed yourself like you want to see less meat being consumed given the way it's being produced that it's about yeah and it's less about, meat yeah. wasted i would say yeah also. it's about it's about being moderate in our in our consumption of meat so that the meat produced can be done can be done in the ways that that keep it keep those animals playing a, a an important role in a sustainable food system yeah yeah, yeah. and i also think like in my ideal there would be um, you know, a year over year, uh, sort like some annual crop production integrated, like we grow a small amount of garlic, we'll try uh, some other crops this year. And I would like to see that on in on parts of the land, parts of our farm where there's more nutrient than than is needed, mm -hmm. deposited over time. Um, but I, yeah, I think another important part of the argument around animal welfare is that these a lot of these animals they just they just wouldn't exist it's not a question of them being raised for meat or living a wild and happy life somewhere they're we're raising domesticated livestock that has um you know a good albeit shorter lifespan and then provide nutritious food to us humans and we are also an animal like we're a part of this food chain so I think that that's noteworthy, <laughs> important. I, I think um, that industrial agriculture has decimated landscapes around the globe, like a third of the globe or more, right? Um, it's turned like grasslands with 15 feet of soil or whatever the hell, I, like an amount of soil I can't even fathom. I've never seen. Um, it's turned that into you know, deserts, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, industrialized agriculture has, is, is quite likely worse than the use of all the oil, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. 
So all CAFOs type meat, all meat that's produced in confined situations where they're feeding either forages or grains that are produced on the prairies and on, you know, on the land um, compiles that problem, right? I think that that's 100%. <laughs> like, it's, it's just you take industrialized land management and apply it to industrialized animal management and that that's a disaster. Don't get me wrong. But and it reduces it creates tons of methane for sure like every part of that produces methane from the farming of the the grains to the keeping of the animals they they all produce methane that's not good we don't need more of it but the fact in my mind is that grassland doesn't function without the megafauna the the animals that are because that, of because of coevolution because of coevolution mm-hmm. exactly like i've seen what happens when a big pasture goes rank and sits there for the season and the best case scenario is that it maybe burns off and allows some more grass to grow um otherwise it's doing nothing mm-hmm. right um and it's not building soil and it's not it's it's not beneficial to most habitats it'll develop some but um we need we need the cattle in my mind we you, you just you don't you don't repair those landscapes without well-managed cattle. And, and unless we're willing to really go the distance and create new created ecosystems that are balanced and that have ruminants and that have predators and don't have fences breaking them up and highways breaking them up and, and all the things that would prevent a proper um, ecosystem from developing, if it even would, um, then we have to manage it like just that's the base of it like and and the problem now this late in the game with climate change is that we can plant trees right but we all saw what happened last year and the year before that like can we keep those trees from burning mm-hmm. right so if we're going to use nature and, to, and, and and natural systems to to draw down some of the carbon and keep it there i think grass is our best bet honestly so right. We so, need so the, so the cattle. Right. Yeah. We well, let me finish your sentence or your thought then. We you yeah. think we need the cattle, but they they need to be a hundred percent grass fed yeah. animals. But I don't see any reason to feed them grain. They're they're ruminants. Right. Yeah. And we're yeah. well suited in BC to produce a lot. Other than other than and, we'd have to completely revolutionize our, our slaughter cool. capacity and our and but, our distribution. And don't forget everywhere that produces grain is well suited to produce grass. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> Good point. And 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 the land would be much better for it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm I'm totally with everybody who says don't eat meat. Like like don't eat meat unless you can buy meat that you're sure is being produced responsibly. That's what I think. Okay, so now we're back with both Steve and Elise to round out our in-depth coverage of Fresh Valley Farms for the Organic BC podcast. Stephen and Annalise, thank you for all of this time. No problem. Mm-hmm. It's fun. You know, I'll be honest, I don't even know for sure where this conversation is going to go. It's kind of half just for fun to round things out. But I guess I, if I want to focus on anything, it's just the, the challenges and dynamics of working, of being like uh, business partners with someone who you also do smoochies with. <laughs> Steve, where at what how developed was the business before Annalise got involved? 
Well, the books were a mess. She'll be the first one to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> we just didn't do them until the end of the year. And then, yeah, yeah. we, can, we continued doing that for the next six years. Yeah, and well. Finally, we've started being getting up to date I would with say a bookkeeper. So, But I would say the first step, the first like major change was like we paid bills on time. Oh, you yeah. know, it was mm-hmm. like within 30 days or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was before we, I don't know, had everything set up. Like we we didn't have a walk-in freezer. We didn't we weren't we didn't have like the proper truck. Like we didn't have a reefer truck to do deliveries. We didn't have any of the infrastructure really. Like other than some pig fencing and a little bit of cattle fencing. You know, like we just had I was, manpower. Yeah, I was and... like packing boxes out of chest freezers you know in in my garage so I don't think I really had any of that set up before you I remember uh, selling leaf lard like unrendered leaf lard for 50 cents a pound and us driving into Armstrong to retrieve like probably like $30 worth of leaf lard which we were selling at a loss and like we would have had to pay the walk-in freezer facility there just to get it out of their freezer, mm-hmm. it just is. It just boggles the mind that we like mm-hmm. su- survived doing yep. things like that. Mm-hmm. But we didn't for very long. Like it was pretty clear. Well, I did for oh, quite did. a while, and that's sure. why I had to but... bounce the bills around to get by. Like it was not easy to start out with, and I mm-hmm. didn't have any capital to start with other than you know my parents' support. But I think by that point, I I wasn't really borrowing money from them. Maybe one time. So I was doing it like cash in hand with no money whatsoever for... Um, cash in hand three... with no cash in hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how do you, how do you two do as, as, a, as a couple who are also business partners? How does that go? I mean, there's, a, there's times when it gets tiring when we're trying to go on vacation you know, we're trying to leave work behind and it just pops up in conversation. Like, I, I don't know, it's because it's all I think about mostly. So it's hard for me to talk about anything else. You mean the farming? So, the farming. Yeah. 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 I mean, my only hobby is like working with my um, association, the small scale meat producers. That's, that's, that's still what, farming, Steve. It's still farming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's hard for us to have like you know, not work conversation. I actually, I think we have our best business conversations when we're on vacation. It like, when it annoys me if, well, and it annoys Steve too. We'll start conversations like early, early in the morning sometimes, like first thing in the morning or like last thing at night, you know, like Mm, just like, like our version of like whispering pillow talk, but we try, we do try not to, but I've heard Chris Bodner talk about like boundaries and we don't have those. So like dinner time. And is that for better or for worse? I mean, I think it's, I think we're working. I think it's what it takes to be a small business owner. I don't even think that's unique to farming. I think Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. you want to compete with the the big corporate entities, you just got to work twice as hard as anybody. Like we just don't have, yeah, we don't have the resources. So you have to make up for it somehow. And while I don't want our kids to be like, to have this whatever impression of life that it's, completely um just controlled by work at the same time our work is really just important to us in terms of our values and principles and so 
our kids are little and they're not actually that involved in the day-to-day farming so having being around those conversations i don't think it's a bad thing what's the biggest source of what's the what's the biggest source of tension as business partners slash romantic partners and if it happens that things are perfect now you can talk about the past but can, can you talk about either now or in the past when you had tension the biggest tension i think like around around different perspectives on like money and opportunities probably mm-hmm. so would that fall in the category then of like changes to the business or vision for the business is that what you mean like when you have to make decisions on what to spend and and well i think that our, we we have some tension around her being like very conservative with money and me like having absolutely no heat of money in general like, as regards I, the business yeah you're business not you're not and, wearing you're not wearing gucci right now i just no, want to listen yeah, to yeah but if he liked gucci if <laughs> i wanted to yeah it, it, i'm just i just really don't think that much about money it's it's just it's a number that limits what i can do mm-hmm. but i don't think about it that much it's just like it's all potential yeah in my mind so you know for for her it's that can be quite stressful i think um i actually see it as a pretty positive tension like i think steve pulls me in a good direction where it's like relax a bit and spend some money but also like here are major investments that we can make and here are the trade-offs like why you know pros and cons he Mm -hmm. is good at measuring those out and seeing like you said the potential and then I am the one who provides like the checks and balances. Like I want to see that this is going to succeed. We're not going to do every, no. like we're not going to explore every potential at the same time. But when really great opportunities come up, we're going to go there. So yeah. now you know. But the, the way that that causes tension is times when it causes stress, and it it does. It does. Stress. But I think it. I'm always I think, talking about what I want to do next. But I think that less now than in previous, like, spans of time or previous iterations yeah. of the business. Yeah. Like, I think we're in a healthier space. Yeah, because we're we've been successful. That's, yeah. If you're not, if you're, if you're not making money and you're and the business isn't working, it's really stressful. And now it seems to be working, so it's a lot less stressful. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, but I'm trying to think. I think that. I think that we found kind of a better balance, though, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the conflict, I mean, it, we've, we've kind of worked it out, I'd say. Yeah, there have definitely been times, I can recall, like, now that Steve's saying that, I can recall plenty of times where he has said, just, like, out of nowhere, you know what I'm thinking? And then just goes, like, some, like, big new idea. And I just have, like, a small anxiety attack where I'm like, I just want some stasis like I just want us to find a place you know I want us to be shooting for something and for that to be like it for once (laughs) right but but now we're like it feels a little bit like we're kind of shooting for the stars or something like we have so many ideas on the go um and they're exciting as long as they're exciting enough and kind of motivating enough and we can keep our energy levels up and yeah, it's yeah, more execute when, the ideas. Yeah, it's more when it was like things that might make the business a little bit more efficient but aren't mm-hmm. necessarily, I don't know, as exciting, I guess. Can we talk about farming with while having children, young children? Yeah, sure. Child care is great. What's that been like? 
Um, we're really lucky. We have a lot of family support around. So we've, yeah, always kind of been able to do a lot. But now we do have childcare, and that is a fantastic thing to have. And one kid is in school. So one, yeah, the year oldest is in school, mm-hmm. and Finn is in some daycare. Yeah. And then in addition, you have lots of friends and family around to... to Just lots of, like, primarily grandmas. Yeah. Like, my mom and Steve's mom spend some time, but my mom especially. And are they kind of... Is it a non-call situation? I mean, my mom spends almost a quarter of her time here. Mm -hmm. um, And helps us all, you know. She makes delicious suppers for the whole family. Um... And spends time with her grandkids. But also, it was, I would say, really challenging when, up until the time that both kids were kind of verbal and responsive, like, we can, we have a level of trust, they're old enough that we can leave the house and they can remain in the house unattended for... Well, I was going to ask, like, it sounds like you almost have a situation where you don't have to kind of drag your kids to the farm work constantly. Which, like, I think... In, in a lot of ways, that's sort of the ideal, right? The, like, Which small family farm. Yeah. Having your kids alongside involved, you yeah. and involved and, like, seeing what you're doing. and um, But that's also really stressful and makes work a lot less efficient. It's, it's like, not efficient at all. I, yeah. yeah. You have to do it efficiently. I, I agree. It's kind of... <clears throat> I get what you mean when you say it's an ideal, but I think it's an ideal based on another era because yeah. I find it... I have really struggled. Like Whenever level. I bring my kids to the farm, my productivity is down so much, like down from whatever the baseline is, down down to 20% that I, it just is pointless. I should have stayed home with the kids. And totally. Yeah. Yeah. Off, just staying and inside just... with them or doing something with them and then working when you can. Can, can I ask you this? Even though you're, it sounds like based on your experience, you're not the best people to answer it because you have good support. But like you do use some daycare. I'm wondering... Like, I think a lot of farmers struggle with spending money to be able to make money. I think that is a, uh, a lot of small scale farmers anyway. Right. And I'm just wondering, you know, was it hard to, to for you to contemplate spending money on daycare to allow yourself the freedom? And what would you say to others who were like, uh, I'm going to go for that old school ideal and drag my kids with me, you know? Well, despite our purported success, we have always been eligible for childcare subsidies. So it was kind of a no-brainer in terms of, like, finances. Mm-hmm. What I, like, Steve didn't really grapple with this. He always thought it was a great idea, but I really grappled with kind of farming my kids out of the house. Yeah. Outsourcing childcare. It really, I just grappled with, you know, feelings of being a failure as a farm mom because I wasn't reaching this ideal. Yeah. And then I did it, and once my kids are have been happy in their childcare settings, and I'm able to work unhindered and, you know, just in a focused way. It's amazing. Yeah, and I, because my fam, my household has grappled with this as well, mm-hmm. and we're, we we landed on a middle ground. My two kids, the older ones in school now, and the younger one, for both in both of them, for the times they were in daycare when they were before school age, one of them still is. It's always been three days a week, so that was our compromise. Like, okay, mm-hmm. we're gonna farm them out, so to speak, part of the time and part keep them at home. And it was exactly because of that sentiment you communicated, mm-hmm. which is like having conflicted feelings about like farming them out or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like one thing I've noticed is just that for the most part, they love it. They get 
lots of socializing in. And I think another reality is if you if you're privileged not to have like be one of those farm households where you have like a full on second full time job, if you're not in that category, then you st- you're still a farmer. You still get tons and tons of time with your kids outside of those whatever daycare that you, you pay for. I'm certainly like if you can afford it and it is getting easier in British Columbia because of subsidies, it's mm-hmm. it's really nice to just divide it. And when I'm when they're gone, I'm going to really get that work done and then be able to focus more on them when you're around, which is still a lot of the time. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. No regrets. Okay. Okay. Steven and Elise, thank you so much for this interview and the two that you gave separately. I'm so grateful, and uh, I think everyone will be really interested to hear what you have to say. So thank you. Thanks for having us, Jordan. All right. So that's it for this episode, everyone. I want to thank Steve and Annalise for their contributions to this one. And I also want to acknowledge that this episode was funded by the BC Ministry of Agriculture and Food. Finally, thanks to Matt Eckel for all the music you hear in this podcast. Okay, time to say goodbye. Goodbye.